You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. I am Drew Hubbard, here with Josh Boland, as usual, talking all things soccer in the U.S., um, MLS, U.S. soccer, and anything as a whole. Um, But like usual, we are stuck in the middle of a pandemic uh, with COVID-19 still putting a pause on the sporting world. Josh, how are you? How are you getting by without sports lately? Uh, I'm I'm faring okay, I think. Uh, I've actually been reading a couple books, a couple soccer books right now, and that's definitely keeping me afloat. Playing some tennis. We've got a, a tennis court in the neighborhood that I live in that I've got access to, so I've been doing a lot of that lately. Can't really play much soccer with um, all the parks getting closed down. And uh, I did make the rash decision to shave off my beard, though. Um, for those that know me, I... I've had a beard for a couple years now, but I went down to mustache. So went to the went to the quarantine stash, um, and I noticed that Matias Almeida decided to copy me, and he's also got a quarantine mustache. So uh, I'm we're in we're in an exclusive club right now. That's awesome. I had a mustache my senior year of high school. Um, I played high school baseball, and when we went to the playoffs, every year was a tradition to have mustaches. So that's the only time I've had a mustache. But fun fact, we won a state championship that year, so big fan of the mustaches. I think they work. Yeah, there you go. Power of the stash yeah. right there. I, I figure this is the best time for me to try this since I'm uh, not really seeing anyone like at all outside of my roommates. So... Um, this is this is the best time uh, to, to to attempt to pull this off. Don't know if I'll keep it, and I, with how long this keeps getting extended, all the quarantines and the shelter in places and everything, I don't think I'll have to worry about it anytime soon. Fortunately. Yeah, I'm like I'm getting to the point where I need to get a haircut, but I don't even know how that's going to be possible right now. So we'll have to find out how that's going to work. Um, but yeah, still. Yeah, I'm I'm in that same boat as well. Hair's getting wild. Yeah, that's just. I don't even want to even think about how. I guess we have to do it ourselves. Is that is that how we're supposed to do this? I I gotta tell you, I'm this close to just asking one of my friends to shave off all my hair, just so I just don't have to deal with it and I can just wait. But I haven't quite re- reached that point yet. Uh, again, it's only been a, a week since I kind of just snap decision decided to shave off the beard. So maybe I'll do this one on a whim as well. But again, I haven't quite made it that far yet. We'll we'll see. Yeah, we'll for sure see. So that's definitely a side of it. But another side um, that the virus has taken, um, we had mentioned previously in a previous episode about the possibility of the Olympics getting postponed, and that was made official. Uh, They will be pushed back to uh, the summer of 2021, starting around the same time, um, which affects obviously the U23 team. Um, as they qualify, try to make Olympics for the first time since 2008, I believe. Um, and the women's national team, that puts a halt on their attempt to win gold after winning the World Cup, trying to become the first team, uh, women's team in history to win gold after winning a World Cup. Um, so, Josh, how do you think that's going to affect the the landscape of the whole Olympic Games, pushing it back a year? Well, you know, the the thing that jumps out at me is, yeah, it's, it, the Olympics are pushed back. Um, and, of course, that's going to affect, first and foremost, the, the U23 players who might be coming up against that age limit. 
So I know that there are conversations taking place right now with the Olympic Committee, I'm sure, and, and all the soccer federations from around the world trying to figure out what to do in terms of that age limit. I, I'm, I'm assuming that they will just take uh, whoever was eligible for this Olympics and they're just going to you know, allow them to partake in next summer's Olympics. But the other thing to look out for is we're supposed to have a Copa America this summer, we're supposed to have Euros this summer, and the women's Euros are already scheduled for next summer. So we could potentially have the Olympics going on with men's and women's soccer. We could have the Copa America. We could have Euro 2020 men's Euro, and then also women's Euro. All happening in the same summer. So And Gold Cup, too, because next year's a Gold Cup year. So I'm more interested in seeing how FIFA decides to handle the logistics of multiple tournaments trying to happen in the same summer. Because it's not like they can really essentially push... I mean, maybe they can push it back into 2022, but then now you're starting to run into problems with uh, the World Cup happening. Now, fortunately, this is the one World Cup that's happening in the winter instead of the summer, and this might actually play out in FIFA's favor. I know there's tons of controversy around pushing the World Cup back into the winter with it being in um, Qatar and how hot it, it was going to be if it was in the summer. So I personally, I'm more interested in seeing, because I think we're going to get all these tournaments. Obviously, it's not a matter of, of if, it's just more of a matter of when. So I'm really curious to see how FIFA is going to handle things, who might push back confederation-wise. Um, so that's really what I'm looking at and, and, and what all that entails. Yeah, so FIFA has a pretty interesting situation on their hands with uh, teams playing in tournaments that are all really competitive. I mean, I don't think any team would want to take any of those tournaments more lightly um, for the sake of another. So that'll be interesting to see um, what next summer is going to look like. But um, saying more recent and more front viewing close up to us, uh, Darren Eels, LA United president, spoke with media today and in talking with media he mentioned that mls still fully intends to get the full season in um and again mentioned perhaps pushing games back towards the later end of the year like we're used to um i think last year was the first season that the season ended a little bit earlier so mls still fully intending to get the full 2020 season in. do you think that's a possibility do you think that's going to happen or does that seem like wishful thinking to you but you know part of me thinks that it will happen um but as as every day goes by and you see the severity of what's happening with the virus and how much it's affecting the u.s right now um i'm not really sure you know if if they're gonna be able to do what they want and and play all 34 games um so and i'm you know there's so much uncertainty right now in regards to i think once they nail down a start date a return date for games whether that's behind closed doors or not then you can really start to say, oh, here's how you play the remaining 32 games for all the teams, or here's how you fit in the playoffs, here's how you can adjust next to your schedule, whatever you know, whatever has to happen to make it work. And until we get that start date, you know, everyone's just kind of guessing. I know there are plenty of people out there putting out what they think should happen, how they think this can all work to where you still play a full season. So it'll be interesting to see. Um what happens once they finally decide to come back whenever that is. Um, personally, again, as, as each, day, each day goes by, I just don't see the league getting in a full season. Um, but 
fortunately, with how many games are left, I think the league can afford to be flexible, at least from a scheduling standpoint. So, again, I, I don't think we'll get a full season in, but it's just gonna it's just going to depend. Yeah, I think you bring a good point up as to, obviously, no one wishes this happened, but... Um, it was fortunate that it happened so early on in the season, so the flexibility is still there. Um, and I haven't heard anything from CONCACAF about Champions League, so that'll be another interesting dynamic. Um, but in the midst of all this COVID-19 chaos, U.S. soccer had their own interesting scenario. Uh, U.S. soccer president Carlos Cordero uh, resigned as president of U.S. soccer March 12th and was replaced by Sydney Parlo Cohn, the first woman, to ever fill that position. Um, his resignation came after a 26, or about a 2,600-page filing um, was released with some pretty not good response from the general public to the document. Uh, Josh, were you surprised at all when you got little glimpses of that document? Um, I was... Not, I was surprised at how fast Cordero resigned. Um, I noticed that Grant Wall, uh, writer for Sports Illustrated, um, covers tons of soccer, especially for the U.S. He called for Cordero's resignation, and I can't remember who it was, but someone out on social media pointed out that Wall was four for four in calling for U.S. Federation presidents' uh, jobs. He's now five for five, obviously, with Cordero resigning. So I found that to be really interesting. Wall put out um, a very scathing article, and I think it was just two days prior to Cordero's resignation. So I was surprised at how fast that happened. I can't say I'm surprised at what was said in the filings in terms of the Federation's stance on avoiding equal pay for the women's um, for the women's players. The thing is. Alexi Lawless actually did a really great job on his podcast of illustrating this point. His point was that U.S. soccer made the choice to try to win the battle from a pure legal standpoint in a legal court as opposed to public perception in the public court of opinion. Um, because I don't, I don't know how any person in this year, in 2020, could look at that argument and say that it was going to go down well in the public eye. I mean, I just don't understand how they thought that stance could win over the general public. So to me, it's interesting that they still went that route anyway. And Cordeo, at the very least, is paying for it by having to resign. So can't say I'm surprised by the what was stated in the filings, at least. What about you? Yeah, um, I think I'm on the same boat as you. The how fast everything unfolded was a surprise. But when you look at it from afar, it's not too surprising that Cordero resigned, but I was shocked at how quickly. But I think what struck me the most was the blatancy of the language. Like, I'm not sure how exactly this process works, but I imagine this document had to go by so many people's desk and that no one's thought, like you said, in the year 2020, no one thought to not write like that. I mean, I have a quote exactly from the document here. The point is that the job of a men's national team player requires a higher level of skill based on speed and strength than does the job of the women's national team player. And that just seems like so 
blatant and so obvious that I'm amazed at how that got in there. Like I read what I thought at the time before I actually looked deeper into it. I read a tweet that I thought was summarizing the document. Um, Come to find out it was a direct quote. So that's what stuck out most to me was that there is no hiding it that I kind of felt like those undertones were there, but for them to seemingly just come out and say it was a shock. Um, So that stuck out a lot to me as long with how fast it all happened. Um, But yeah, that happened. He resigned March 12th um, and he issued an apology during the women's national team match versus uh, Japan, the She Believes Cup game final. Uh, He issued the apology March 11th um, during the game. And even that didn't work out. That still was pretty negatively viewed. So U.S. soccer really and Carlos Cardeo really couldn't do anything right. Um, So he resigned and replaced by Sidney Cohn, like I said, first woman to serve as U.S. soccer president. Um, And she played on the 99 World Cup winning team, the 99ers, and coached the Portland Thorns to the inaugural NWSL championship. So, Josh, do you think her experience with U.S. soccer on the women's national team side, do you think that that's going to help the women's national team's case? I, I think on paper it does, you know, just from the fact that she's a former player herself and World Cup winner at that. She can definitely relate to hopefully what the, the current women's team is, is trying to accomplish right now. Um, that being said, the thing that bothers me the most about the situation is she was vice president before this so i don't see how she couldn't have seen the legal filings before they were taken care of before before the the federation moved forward with that argument so i don't know how she could have i mean depending on the environment of the federation which as we know from um there was the, I think it was the New York Times article last summer about a few glass door reviews from employees within the Federation. They were just tearing the Federation to shreds in terms of the work environment that was being fostered. So I guess on some level I could understand if Cohn felt like she couldn't say anything um, just based on those around her. But on the other hand, it just strikes me odd that as a former player herself, she never stepped in and said, "Hey, we we shouldn't do this. This won't this won't work out for anybody involved." So to me, that really jumps out at me, and and her coming into the picture now and what she can do. I have a feeling that she'll get this done. She'll she'll settle this lawsuit. And the U.S. Federation has tons of other lawsuits they've got to handle. Obviously, this is the most public first and foremost needs to be handled. So I think she'll get it done. And, and then from there, she can either um, ride the benefits of that by staying on as president, or she can just ride off into the sunset and say, hey, I took care of this awesome thing. I don't really want to be around anymore. Um, but either way, I, I just it's shocking to me that she, as vice president, apparently like, we perceive that she didn't step in or anything. So um, I, I do think she can get it done. I think she can settle the lawsuit and I think they can avoid going to trial I'm just surprised that with her merrily moving up a position that she didn't step in before yeah that's a good point and then um, 
there's an article in The Athletic uh, about just her speaking with the media, and she said that this wasn't a position that she was seeking. Um, so that is a really interesting point, that this kind of came out of nowhere for her, but she's stepping in. Um, and like you mentioned, uh, probably the biggest lawsuit that U.S. soccer is having to deal with is this equal pay thing. Um, so how much do you think that's like the sole focus of Cone right now, or is there anything else that's grabbing her attention, or do you think that she can fully focus on getting this settled with women? You know, again, it depends on on what she ultimately wants out of this. Um, like you just said, based on some reporting done in the last week, it sounds like she wanted this position, which, let's backtrack for a second. I'm not going to, not trying to get all conspiracy theorist on anybody about this, but that's an interesting point in the sense that she could have let this happen, let Cordero take the fall, and then stepped in to make a difference, which I think is an interesting strategy. If that was her strategy, you know, all power to her for like manipulating that in her favor. Um, that being said, um, I think that if she can settle just this lawsuit, that's going to be good enough for the public to want her back. I believe the next election for president is next February, if I'm not mistaken. And we will know by then whether or not the... uh, Yeah, I think we'll know by then if the U.S. is qualified. Or maybe it's not next February, but the following February. I can't remember. Because outside of these lawsuits, especially the women's equal pay, the next biggest thing is getting the men's team to qualify back in the World Cup. So while I do think that her main focus needs to be the the women's lawsuit and the equal pay lawsuit and of course getting that sorted out so that it benefits everybody involved i think the next thing is ensuring that the men's national team qualifies without any significant hiccups um is there anything else that you think that she needs to shift her focus to outside of those two things um, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I think that equal pay thing, and mainly because the women's national team is such a popular team right now. I mean, as they have been for years, because I mean, back-to-back World Cup champions and everything they stand for outside of soccer. Um, we could get into that, but it seems like right now the women's national team is infinitely more popular than the men's national team. I think that's pretty obvious with back-to-back World Cups and not qualifying. So I think for the public perception of U.S. soccer to improve, that has to be settled first. Um, And I do agree, I think, getting the men to qualify for Qatar, um, that's obviously a big deal, trying to bounce back from that. Um, And I think getting the U23s to qualify for the Olympics um, would be a big help as well, but obviously that's kind of on the back burner um, with the Olympics being postponed. But I think... I think this is, deserves all the attention just because of how much power this, this that player association has with women's national team. Like, I don't know if you saw, but when they, um, the game against Japan, their warm-up kits, jerseys, whatever you want to call them, um, they turned them inside out. And so it just had the four stars on them. And then Breaking Tea, uh, just a t-shirt company that does like sports stuff, jumped all over that and sold I don't even know how many shirts they just sold out an incredible amount of just it was the blank it was like a blank crest without the U.S. soccer thing but just the four stars and I'm not the biggest breaking tea fan some of their stuff I'm not a fan of but those were good stuff but like just something like that I think shows how much leverage women's national team has in the public eye 
So I don't think there really is anything that, aside from the equal pay thing, that she really needs to focus on. I think this deserves all of her attention and focus. Yeah, if she if she can get this settled, I mean, this will be such a, a win in the public eye for her. Um, and I really do think that a lot of credit will be deserved um, on her end. And I think a lot of credit will be given to her for that. Um, but you're right. I mean, just the basically, I mean, the women's team, the players have been in the national spotlight and at times the international spotlight for a very long time now because this lawsuit really came to light about a year ago ahead of the World Cup. And then they pretty much dominated the World Cup. And then there was everything between uh, Megan Rapino and President Donald Trump that only magnified everything else that was already going on. And then the women sealed the deal anyway, winning the World Cup. And this is now drug on, or dragged on uh, since winning the World Cup. So, you know, I, I think you're right. If, if she shifts all her focus into, into just the equal pay lawsuit, it'll really work out in her favor at least in terms of what she's trying to accomplish. And I think this would be like a, a significant domino to fall because once you get this lawsuit settled, ideally the following lawsuits can finally get taken care of because there's a, there's a few outside of just this equal pay lawsuit. So, you know, I'm definitely with you on that. If she just really focuses on this and, and takes care of it, that would be enough, I think, to get her elected on a permanent basis whenever the next round of elections are for president. And it also win, it'd be a huge PR win for the Federation because right now the public does not trust them whatsoever, whether it's youth national team hires or qualifying for tournaments or youth development in general, all these lawsuits, you name it. There's just so many issues that the gen, like a general U.S. soccer fan can take with the Federation. And if she can get this done, she can take care of the equal pay, it would be huge. It would be a huge win for the Federation. They can win back a lot of the trust of their biggest supporters. And then from there, it can be a really solid building block in improving what has been basically a dumpster fire for the last few years. Yeah, I think this is really vital and important time for U.S. soccer as a whole, like with the equal pay thing we've talked about. Um, that's a really big thing that's been going on for a while, and I think people are just waiting for that to happen. I feel like people are trying to move past that and get to other things. Um, between that, um, you assume that 2022 for the men is they're going to qualify. Um, hopefully, no, no more Trinidad situation. So I think between that um, in qualifying for 2022. This is a really big um, little stretch here for U.S. soccer. And I think, like you said, Cone has a really good shot to put her stamp on it. Um, and maybe she doesn't want to be president for much longer after doing that. Uh, maybe she wants to do that and get out of here in the sunset, like you mentioned. Um, so, yeah, U.S. soccer at a really important time. But as well as new president Cone, uh, new CEO uh, Will Wilson. Um, Will Wilson has worked with a number of professional sports leagues, including MLS and NFL. And I was reading an article in The Athletic, and they were talking about his work with MLS and Soccer United Marketing. Um, and a lot of people were concerned about him being considered an insider in the sport. What do you think? Why is there a concern about him being an insider in our sport? 
Well, for those that don't know, uh, Soccer United Marketing is the commercial arm of U.S. Soccer and MLS. They're the branch that determines TV contracts and just marketing in general for both the Federation and MLS. Um, And so a lot of people see his involvement with that as sort of this kind of in-house um in-house hire so I, I can understand why people would be super cautious maybe cautiously optimistic about his hire it, it it really feels like it's coming from within at least to someone that isn't really looking very closely at it and i i think on the surface it looks like a very um uh, just an inside hire if you look a little deeper though it's it's not quite that simple um and so hopefully I, I hope that people give wilson the benefit of the doubt here and just it's really hard to trust the federation in any of the moves they make right now i totally understand that but hopefully they can give him the benefit of the doubt because of a lot of his other experience um outside of of some and and all that so you know, people definitely, I think, at this point have a right to be kind of worried about that. There's just so much connection between MLS and the Federation and some that it definitely scares some people at times, I think. So they they definitely, I think it's okay for people to feel that way. But I just hope that in this specific situation, they, they take the time to really look at what this hire is. Yeah, and then when asked about his work um, with soccer, he was very open about saying that he has worked in soccer, he's had worked in MLS, that's pretty obvious. But as, you know, he worked with NFL and his, uh, I believe it's his nephew, Andrew Luck, he worked to represent him, um, number one pick by the Colts. And so he was very open to share that his time in soccer kind of faded away, that he took a step back from the soccer side and worked with NFL um, and I think he even worked with go-kart racing. So this guy's been all over the place. Um, so do you think having experience outside of soccer is going to help him at all? Yeah, so this is definitely why I think people should give Will Wilson the benefit of the doubt. He's worked with the NFL, including both NFL Europe and NFL Mexico. Um, like you said, worked with kart racing. Um, and he did spend four years with some with soccer united marketing and then like you said he spent the last eight years working um with an agency that represents uh, both american football and american soccer um starting with his nephew andrew luck big deal um but the biggest thing that jumps out at me with him is his experience abroad um he has spent, I think it's, uh, yeah, he spent 28 years of his life abroad. This is extremely significant. He worked in NFL Mexico's office in Mexico City. Uh, He speaks Spanish fluently. He was instrumental in um, working through, I think it was some tours for Barcelona, Manchester United. He, and this is with some, um, also managed the business side of CONCACAF Gold Cup, league events like MLS Cup, MLS All-Star Game, um, and also, like I said, NFL Europe. So I think, the, again, the reason why people should give him the benefit of the doubt is his experience outside of the U.S. That should really come in handy um, with the business side of things. Um, it's also important to note 
Uh, he was born in London, and you know, according to lots of reporting over the last week, he's lived in Trinidad, Brazil, Holland, Mexico. Um, got his MBA in Mexico, and another thing that really jumped out at me is he made a point to talk about the Spanish-speaking community at the press conference uh, last week on March 24th. Uh, he, he said, uh, demography is destiny. I think what you'll see from me over time is a very concerted effort to engage with all the demographics in the soccer community. And even Cohn said on Wilson's Spanish fluency, it's a huge plus. And she said straight up that the United States Soccer Federation is not doing a good enough job at engaging their uh, Spanish-speaking demographic. And this has been a huge gripe with lots of supporters. And so the thing I'm most excited about is what Will Wilson will do engaging not just the casual American fan, but the many demographics that this country has. Because I think there's a lot of missed opportunities in that. And if he can help, whether it's himself individually or him overlooking better engagement in the soccer community and growing the game, I think that's there's a huge potential on that side of things. So again, despite his background with some for those few years, I think people need to look at the big picture here and they need to see that his background shows us a really nice potential to really grow the game in America, which is such an exciting prospect when you really look at it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think that's, it, is an, it is an exciting thing to look at. Um, I got an, an article by The Athletic pulled up, and it's talking about uh, Oliver Luck. Um, I think he worked with the XFL. But just talking about Wilson's experience, um, like you said, he was running the NFL office in Mexico City, um, working a lot with the NFL strategy in Mexico. So I think specifically that is going to be really cool because there's like the whole joke, right, about the most popular team in the U.S. is the Mexican national team. And in some parts, I kind of feel like that's true. Yep. So, I mean, I think, yeah, that's, I think specifically his experience in Mexico um, is going to be huge in getting, getting U.S. soccer again. They hurt him and uh, Cohen have a really big task ahead of them. But I think, I mean, if anyone can do it, their resumes speak for themselves. And I think they got a shot to, help get a really good image of U.S. soccer out there to the public. For sure. And again, you know, I'm really excited at looking at his full body of work and his experiences abroad. That should really shape his approach to being the CEO of the USSF um, more so than anyone else. So for me personally, I think it's a really good hire. And like I said, I think it's got a lot of potential. Uh, one thing I do want to point out in regards to Wilson's um, hire is uh, – the relevant sports chairman, Charlie uh, Stilitano, he tweeted his praise for Wilson. And the very the interesting part about this, you're probably wondering, who the heck is Charlie Stilitano? What is relevant sports? Well, currently, relevant sports has a lawsuit with the U.S. Soccer Federation. So like we were talking about earlier, equal pay, obviously, really big deal. It needs to be sorted out first and foremost. But there's so many other lawsuits going on between the Soccer Federation and all of these other entities. Again, one of those is Relevant Sports, which sued U.S. Soccer in an antitrust uh, suit in September of 2019. So it's only been a few months uh, since that was happening, and that's still in litigation right now with the Federation. So for the chairman of Relevant Sports to be tweeting out that it's a great hire for U.S. Soccer, I think speaks volumes about 
hopefully what Wilson can get accomplished. Um, and, and just to offer a little bit more information on it, Relevant Sports is the uh, they're the group that is responsible for bringing over the big European teams, and they're the ones hosting and setting up the International Champions Cup, which sees teams like Barcelona and Manchester United and Juventus, any big European team, some of the bigger Liga MX teams as well, you name it, they come over for their preseason stuff uh, and a tour around the U.S. and all the big NFL stadiums, and Relevant Sports is behind all of that. So, again, for their chairman to come out and, and say what a great hire this is from Will Wilson, I, I think that's exciting. Now, it has the potential to be a little bit shady. I don't know what exactly what the connection is there between Wilson and, and Relevant Sports. Um, like I mentioned earlier, Wilson helped orchestrate tours from Barcelona and Manchester United throughout the U.S., and so that might have something to do with it. But at the same time, hopefully that connection, that relationship that Wilson has with Relevant Sports can help, again, get that lawsuit sorted out. Because the sooner the U.S. Soccer Federation can handle all these lawsuits, the sooner they can move on, the sooner they can focus on what really matters from the Federation, and that's growing the game in the United States. So I just thought that was a super interesting connection. And I hope it really works out for everyone involved with this hire in general and specifically with that lawsuit. Yeah, and like we talked about um, how we think, both think that the equal pay thing um, is pretty top priority for both Wilson and Cone. Do you think that um, Wilson's connection with relevant sports, do you think for the general public, like trying to dissect this guy and what he's about and what he's going to do, do you think that the relevant sports lawsuit could get in the way of possibly dealing with the equal pay lawsuit? Um, I don't think so. I, I do think that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, the, the equal pay lawsuit, it has to be the thing that they take care of first. I mean, it just has to. You know, you talk about what is, when we talk about government, when we talk about the United States government more specifically, you know, what's a president going to do in the first 60 days, 90 days in office, whatever it is. And, this is sort of the equivalent of that. Cone and Wilson, however involved Wilson's going to be with this, they have to take care of the equal pay first. And I, I don't think the relevant sports lawsuit or really any other lawsuit for that matter should or is going to get in the way of settling the equal pay lawsuit. And I, you know, I think the general public realizes that it's the most important thing. And I, I, I hope, I hope, and I'm sure that the soccer federation everyone in charge understands that that's the most important thing. Because if you think about it, that's what's getting all the headlines. That's what's grabbing everybody's attention. That's what's bringing most of the negative light on the Federation is the equal pay lawsuit. So while there's the connection with the relevant sports lawsuit and the many other lawsuits that are going on, I I do think that the equal pay lawsuit will still be first and foremost. So I I don't think it'll be a hindrance. It's possible, but I don't see that happening. Yeah, and uh, Meg Linehan had a really good article out in The Athletic um, with the media just talking with Cohn and Wilson. And uh, they both said their top priority is finding a resolution uh, with women's national team and finding um, the resolution with that and equal pay. So good news for the women's national team. Oh, that seems like it's a pretty big deal on both their minds. But like we, we talked about, um, these two really big hires happening – really simultaneously it seems um so how important do you think is it that wilson and cone work together do you think it'll be a hindrance that they're both pretty new in this position coming in at the same time with a lot to do 
No, I think they'll work well together. Uh, you know, like we talked about, Wilson's already got experience working with the Federation, working with MLS, many teams, many organizations across the world. So I don't think there should be any problem between him and Cone and, and sorting out all this. Um, I think the the bigger question is, does the appointment of Cone as president and the hiring of Wilson, does it help change the culture at the Soccer Federation? Do you think it's going to have any effect on the culture top-down? Um, we're talking top, president, all the way to bottom, the intern that has to go to Chicago and and work on this and that. Do you think it's going to make an effect on the the culture in the workplace? Um, yeah, that's tough. I mean, obviously, you don't know what the intern's doing, but I think, I think it will. Yeah, I think because when people, I think employ like the basic employees, right? Like the basic intern, the basic person working in accounting or something like that, working the normal nine to five. Um, the they have an outside perception of the organization as well, right? So they have their own image of U.S. soccer. Um, whether it's good or bad, you want it to be good, obviously, because it's our country's federation and it's their employer and their workplace. So I think if, I think going back to the equal pay thing, I think if they're able to get that settled as well as lawsuits, that's going to create a better public perception like we've talked about. Um, and I think that's going to pour over into the basic you know, accounting worker or the basic intern. Um, so I do think if, again, it's a big if, which I think they will get all this figured out, all this settled between with the multiple lawsuits like we've talked about. So I do think um, these two hires are going to help that culture. Um, again, it's hard to kind of make that connection between U.S. soccer president and, you know, the average intern who's moving to Chicago for the summer. But I think there is potential to do that. Um, do you think that their hire is going to help that culture? I'm I'm a little more skeptical than you, I think, um, and and that's just it's just kind of me personally. I I am hopeful. I'm hopeful that Cone's appointment as as president. I I hope she can get a lot done, and you know, hopefully, like we've been saying, Wilson can get all help get all these lawsuits settled and help with the outreach into the community and everything. Um, but I'm not really convinced that this one hire is going to make all that difference um it's kind of like when the u.s men's team failed to make the 2018 world cup and then everybody went after sunil gibalati um the president at the time of that kind of forced him into resignation and then they had all these elections and there were like i think seven or eight candidates ranging from cordero to hope solo to kyle martino um and you know cordero had been with the Federation for so many years before becoming president. And then you look and you see, well, did anything really change in Cordero's time as president? And I can't really put my finger on anything that, that shows real change in the organization. Um, and one of the things we are referencing is an article published by the New York Times in June of last year. Uh, the title reads, Far From World Cup, Hints of Rebellion Inside U.S. Soccer. So this was going on... Um, during the Women's World Cup, while the women's team was in the middle of making their championship run, um, there were lots of um, reports published, uh, complaints shared on Glassdoor, uh, which allowed the employees to anonymously write reviews of the company. There were some quotes about a terrible and toxic place to work, a culture of fear and intimidation, morale at an all-time low, 
And with that being only nine months ago, that, that report happening in June, I'm skeptic, skeptical as to whether or not the appointment of Cohn is really going to change anything in the short term. Hopefully, with how much the public has been complaining and writing the Federation about all these issues, hopefully that forces some change. If not, if, if nothing changes, if there's not enough progress, if there's not enough evolution, not enough change over the next year or so before the next round of elections come, hopefully we will finally see some change then with whoever ends up getting voted into the presidency for the Federation. Um, but as far as the short term, I, I'm, I'm sort of the wait and see mentality. If she can get the women's lawsuit settled, if she can get some of these other lawsuits settled, I think... Even though she probably didn't have a lot to do with it, I think depending on how well the U23 men's team does in terms of qualifying, hopefully they qualify for the um, Olympics, and how well the men's national team does in their qualifying, I think that's going to have a real effect on how we look at her time as president. So I'm a little skeptical, definitely kind of the wait-and-see mentality, wait-and-see approach, um, but I'm not I'm not really going to get my hopes up if I'm being honest. Yeah, and I think Cohen's in such a cool and interesting spot in that there she kind of has an option, I feel like, of you know, aiming for the long long term or running again for president or just kind of like we mentioned before, knocking out the sequel pay thing and riding off into the sunset. So, she's at an interesting spot. Um I think Taylor Twelman talked about how this was before Cordero resigned about how Twelman felt that the most important thing of Cordero's time as U.S. soccer president um, was settling the equal pay lawsuit. So I think that gives you a glimpse of how important this is. And she has a spot, and she's in a spot that she can knock that out. Um, And if she does, then I think, yeah, like we talked about, that creates a much better image for U.S. soccer um, in the country and as a whole globally, because you have some federations, I think the Netherlands, um, and I believe Australia are the two that come to mind, um, two really good women's programs. Um, they have settled with equal pay as well. So the U S soccer is kind of getting pressured into doing this. So I think people are just waiting for it to finally happen. And I think Cone and Wilson are in really interesting spots at really interesting times to help get that done. Yeah, and I just want to add that of all the federations, soccer federations in the world where equal pay should probably be a thing, um, I think the U.S. is the best example of that <laughs> given the success of the women's team, especially compared to all these other countries around the world. It's sort of ridiculous when you look at it from a really objective perspective. I mean, I, I saw somewhere, I think it might have been Matthew Doyle of MLS Soccer. He point, he he. He called the women's program the most successful program in the world. And um, when you look at it, they are, historically. They have, I think, just as many World Cups as Germany, the men's Germany men's team and the Brazilian men's teams have World Cups. And they've been around way more decades than the, the U.S. women's team. So of all the federations for this to be an issue, it's kind of sad that it's taken this long to get this handled. But hopefully it's taken care of soon. Yeah, yeah. For World Cups, you kind of assume that it's going to be a thing. And like even the Netherlands, I mean, they're in the same boat as the U.S. Their men shockingly failed to qualify for 2018. 
Um, and then their women made that run in Euros, and that bled over into the 2019 World Cup. So, uh, yeah, people are waiting for the domino to fall. And I think U.S. soccer is pressured, um, and they're feeling that. And I think that it's pretty – it's high up the list of things to get done for Cohn and Wilson. Well, that is all we have for you guys today. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, it's our third episode. Uh, appreciate listeners. Um, if you guys would like to, we have episodes one and two up and ready to go, just getting to know us a little better. Um, and like always, follow us on social media, uh, MLS Multiplex, at MLS Multiplex on Twitter, uh, myself, at Drew T. Hubbard, and Josh, at Josh underscore Boland. Um, and always visit the website, um, even though we're in this break, riders are still cranking out really good stuff to help pass the time before we get get soccer back. Josh, thanks again so much for talking today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's it's so great to talk about soccer, given everything else going on in the world. It's nice for a little escape. Hopefully we can provide that for all you guys listening out there as well. Yeah, so yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. You can check out all of the contributors' written work on MLSMultiplex.com.